Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another entrepreneur interview with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont. I've been seeing things differently in the wealth field for well over 10 years now. I'm joined today by a great guest, Carrie Lutz. Carrie, how are you today? All right. Well, Kevin, uh, it's really an honor to be on your show. And I've always seen things differently. I've always <laughs> been a square peg in a round hole. Excellent. And so it's enabled me to avoid making some mistakes, but has caused me to uh, make others that other people who just follow the crowd would never, ever uh, really expect to happen to them. Right. Well, then they'd lose out on the experience and the knowledge there, right? Absolutely. And, you know, being a serial fourth generation entrepreneur, it's all about building your knowledge base, learning from your mistakes. I love the old saying, well, it's never a failure if you learn something from it. It's still a failure, even if you learn something from it, because you probably lost a lot of money in the process. Good chance. But yeah. what you learn from it could be vastly more valuable than what your investment in it was. Right. My father, who is also an entrepreneur, used to say, anytime you get into a new business that you don't know anything about, you pay for lessons. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I've paid for my share of lessons for sure. Luckily, I think I've had more successes than failures. Well, that's good. You started with your serial entrepreneurship, I would say. You started with that with your family business in 63, correct? Yeah, my the family business was started by my uncle and my father in 1963 when I was like six years old. And uh, my uncle subsequently dropped out. My mother wound up in the business. It was really a family business around the dinner table. That's what we would talk about. <laughs> right. And the first time I got involved with it, I think I was about 14 years old. We had a bunch of messengers in New York. Mm -hmm. Messenger is kind of an interesting job. It really basically took stuff and delivered from point A to point B and picked stuff up and brought it back. So they didn't show up. So we were short on messengers. Yeah. And I learned how to ride the New York City subway system. And I went up to lawyers' offices all over Manhattan delivering stuff. And I remember I got lost one time. I was going to 225 <laughs> Broadway, which was right in the shadow of the old World Trade Center. Right. And I wound up somehow at 225 East Broadway, and there was literally a tenement in front of me. That's like right the Lower East Side. I said, you know, I think I'm in the wrong place here, but I managed <laughs> to find my way. And, you know, then I was kind of hooked on it and dealing with lawyers, legal printing. It was a successful business. It had a couple of rough years. Yeah. In the beginning, but it was always successful for many years. My brother and I acceded to it. We had our own personal issues, but at one point, business was bad. We made some mistakes. We were literally ready to close our doors within a month and a half. Mm. And mm. I called up my brother. I said, if we don't cut expenses by at least $175,000 per year, we're going to close up. So we sat down and we went line by line through the books. Every expense, nothing was off the table. Right, and right. we saved about $250,000. And at that point, we made a couple of good hires. We moved our offices. We had an office. Uh, rent was just piling up. Couldn't afford it. Broke yep. the lease. Moved to another office. And it was the weirdest thing, Kevin, because it was like, I don't know if the Chinese of Feng Shui and all that is true or not. But the minute we moved into the new offices, had a new employee, really good salesman as it turned out to be. 
instantly turned around. I mean, I'm talking in less than a month. And, you know, that was in, in like early 1990s. Uh, subsequently, in 97, sold the business to a largest competitor and then did some other ventures that weren't overly successful. I had gone to law school in the meantime as an insurance policy in case this business ever didn't work out. So I tried practicing law. I hated that. But I was really good at locating assets, helping people collect their judgments. Sure. And that led to one thing to another, wound up uh, buying up charged off credit card debt and distressed assets and uh, really did quite well there. And then I just after the financial crisis, I just didn't want to look at that stuff anymore as I felt like we were part of the problem, sold out and um, went on to do other things and wound up uh, podcasting, doing this business now, which I love. Best career I've ever had. Yeah, podcasting is great. I enjoy it as well. And I'm hoping our listeners enjoy it as well. <laughs> well, you know what's great is like you and I, if we weren't in the podcasting space, we'd never meet. True. You know, we would have never connected. That's, and I have right. friends all over the world. I represent a lot of uh, junior mining companies mm -hmm. helping to market their stock to build investor awareness and interest in these small companies. Yep. And you know, I have like probably a dozen friends in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I would have never met them. I have friends in Australia, South Africa, Europe, wow. all over the place. And I can go any place, you know, any country in the world just about and put out my feelers and meet people that I would never have been able to do. You know, there was an opportunity cost for podcasting. In the first four years, I made nothing. I didn't lose much, but I didn't make anything. But I've mastered the skill, the craft. I wrote my book, Viral Podcasting, How to Earn a Six-Figure Income from Your Show. Right. It just uh, kind of built up from there. And, you know, it's a whole different world that new media brings you. So try working in an office from nine to five. I just was never cut out to do that. I, I could not do it. I have a problem with that too. <laughs> yeah. I could get in the morning from eight and leave at 10. But then the next morning, I might not get in until noontime and leave at three. But when you own your own company, you can do that. But when you work for other people, you know, that's a fast ticket to the exit. Uh, you'll be gone quickly unless you're so valuable that they just can't get rid of you. And that's, then you're just always going to be at war with your employer. So right. you just don't want to be doing that. Yeah. It's not a good situation. Yeah. So really we just go along life, find our path. And that's what entrepreneurship enables you to do that. Yeah, it does in a way that's much more fulfilling and gives opportunities, not just in business, but in life, like you're talking about that you couldn't have if you were just Stuck behind a desk all day. You have the, what is that called? The Financial Survival Network, correct? Correct, yes. So you help other people succeed with their business as well? Yeah, I've consulted to companies. You know, one of the things when you're a, an entrepreneur is my thing. I could go into a company and literally within an hour to two hours, I could know everything that's wrong with that company, right. what their biggest problems are, how to fix it. The problem is like, a lot of people don't want to hear it. I mean, I was working for a friend who has an online business and giving financial advice. And unfortunately, we're no longer that close friends anymore as a result of it because I told them, you know, your marketing, your branding, look, to make it now, you have to be a brand, all right? And you have to do everything you can. All of your social media, everything you do has to be 
to forward your brand. And you have to have a very defined sense of brand. And, you know, we don't have to look any further than our president understand master branding. I mean, he is the best brander ever. Obama was a brand. Bill Clinton was a brand. Until you treat your business as a serious brand, nothing held together. You know, I was looking at another company recently, legal related, and they did private mediations and stuff like this. And it was a really amazing, amazing potential for that company because it's a shark tank company for sure. It could be a multi-hundred million dollar company, but their branding was garbage. And, you know, like my thing is I don't have time to like sugarcoat stuff. Say, well, your branding's really nice, but I I think that's the New Yorker in you. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. You know, spending 37 years in New York and I grew up in New Jersey, right by New York. Right. I just don't have any patience for BS. I just don't. I mean, and I will be honest, I can dish it out, but I can take it too. I'd rather you just tell me what you think rather than we play these little games of don't hurt my feelings. Right. Because I don't help you any if I just lie to you. So, and a lot of consultants will do that. So I could look at these companies and see every flaw And this company had no compelling brand and Mm -hmm. no marketing plan and anything else. And, you know, marketing is the most important aspect of any business. You know, my brother and I used to fight and he'd say, well, without production, you have nothing to market. And I say, well, without marketing and sales, you got nothing to produce. And it's a chicken, chicken and egg. Yeah, and this, right. And marketing and sales is the egg. You're the chicken. I hate to tell you. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really all of these things combined. And then there is the thing that until we are perfect human beings, until we do everything right, there is always immense room improvement everything that we do everything and there are times where you're more likely to be on the self-improvement bandwagon but i've read like hundreds of self-improvement books some of them were garbage some of them are phenomenal i reread them to this day but you have to be willing to change and change for the better educated change that's where like the best investment on the planet is investing in human capital, investing in yourself. Because without a substantial investment in yourself first, it's really hard to make the other investments pay off. Yeah, I agree. You know, talking about the the success, let's bring that back around for a second. How can businesses today succeed where the other ones are failing? Because there's a lot of them failing, a lot more than succeeding. Yeah, that's the cool thing. Like I say, I could walk into any business and know and diagnose the problem. I won't say I can solve it like in an hour. That's kind of ridiculous, but you have to know what the problem is. You know, it's just like any uh, 12-step program. The first thing is admitting, hey, I am a, my name is Kerry. I am a blank addict. Okay. This isn't as serious as that. This is, hey, I am uh, Kerry Lutz. I am a losing business owner. You can blame it on the market. You can blame it on the economy. You can blame it on Trump. You can blame it on Obama. I mean, you can blame it on 88 years of uh, the New Deal and what it's done to the country. In the end, that doesn't mean anything. So the first thing is take responsibility. Own your failure. And it's not necessarily a failure. It's just a lack of success, which if you are honest with yourself, you can turn around, but you have to start with self-honesty. Don't blame the market. 
don't blame if if only this, if only that. I've seen my own beliefs stand in the way of my success many, many a time. I'll give you, for instance, you know, the mining industry here is uh, junior miners. Not it's been an awful eight years for them, frankly. And my thing is, well, hey, I'm just not going to market to them. There's no demand for what I'm doing. This and that. That was garbage because there were still companies succeeding there, still companies needing to get their messages out, and still companies spending money to promote their stock. But when I my blinders on saying, well, you know, nobody's spending money, there's total self-deceit and self-defeat. So whether you succeed or not is entirely up to you. I don't know. Do you ever watch that show, The Profit, uh, Kevin? I haven't seen it, no. This guy, Marcus Lemonis, he's a billionaire camper world CEO, and he looks for failing companies, and then he injects capital into them, but mainly tries to get them out of the failure mindset. Right. And that is the hardest part. It's really easy to write the check. It's really hard to get these people to own up to their inadequacies and their insufficiencies and their their ignorance of what they do. Sometimes they abuse their employees and they don't even know. Sometimes it's spouses and, you know, it's a very difficult thing to be in business with family members because you have baggage and, you know, you know all the buttons to push on your family members. They know all the buttons to push on you and they don't hesitate. You don't hesitate. So taking the deep breath and saying, is this going to get me what I want? Is throwing a fit, a tantrum, which I used to do as a manager, is that going to accomplish my goals? And if the answer is no, don't do it, right? It's that simple, but that requires real introspection, self-awareness. And if you want to succeed, that's what you have to do to succeed. There is no excuse for your failure. You own your failure. If you don't make it, it's because you don't know. I have done a number of businesses that didn't work out, lost loads of money on, not a ton of money, but they just didn't work because I didn't think it through properly. I used to get very optimistic about new business ideas. I was an idea guy. I loved the new idea. The new, you know, I didn't even care what happened. Just the picture in my mind used to energize me like you couldn't believe. And then I was a little weak on the execution, especially for new entrepreneurs. It's, so, it's such a pattern to like get overly optimistic. Just assume that you're going to work 10 times harder than you ever thought. It's going to take you a while to become profitable. You're not going to be profitable from the first day. Just watch those companies on Shark Tank and the ones that succeed and the ones that fail. You got to have optimism. Obviously, you don't do this unless you're optimistic, but you have to temper it with realism. And look, the best businesses I've had have been, when I've done them, have been profitable from the first day. Right. From the first moment. But that's the exception. But I think that the other thing that people do, I've seen this firsthand for myself. When I've started up companies with a very low overhead, low capital, yeah, uh, they've always been more successful than the companies I've started that had a big capital contribution where we were too well capitalized. Damon John from Shark Tank calls it, wrote a book called The Art of Broke or the art of being broke. When you have no money, it makes you a lot smarter, more clever business person. It makes you look for opportunities and makes you much more likely to act than to uh, 
have paralysis by analysis. So not having enough money when you start up is much better than having too much money because it makes you a smarter business person. Like how many companies I could walk into, they're not making any money and the damn furniture in the office costs more than the furniture in my house. All right. I don't have cheap furniture. My stuff is nice, usually paid wholesale for it or less, but that's another story. But when I see you got a $1,200 arrow chair, all right, you could have gotten by on a card table chair. Why'd you spend 1200 bucks on the stupid chair? You, you see people do all sorts of stupid things. Could be the illusion of success, perhaps. Hey, I'm all for faking it till you make it, but fake it cheaply. Don't fake it expensively. And I see lawyers, you know, and I'm a lawyer by training, went to law school, practiced for 30 years. I wouldn't say I was a good lawyer. If I, I always said if I was any good, I wouldn't still be practicing. But uh, here I am. I'm not practicing anymore. I'm retired with honor. But, you know, like I would see these lawyers. It's like you just spent $35,000 to furnish this three-room office. You're not making any money. What is wrong with you? And you've got crappy computers that are like still running DOS. And that's where you're going to make your money in those damn computers, not on the yeah. desk. Right. Time. Yeah. So you see these mistakes a lot. And I've made them myself, I'll be honest. My, I have a penchant for just cars, but I always made sure that any business producing enough income so that I can get the toys before I buy the toys, because can't go into debt for the toys. Big right. mistake. Right. Yeah, of course. When people are looking to start a business, I'm assuming that you know you have, from your experience between the successes and failures, figured out a good way, maybe not the perfect way, but a good way to start business, right? Yeah. You know, the business plan, I believe I've done them. I've written them for people. I've done dozens of them. After all this time, the companies that have succeeded most for me, ones where we don't have a business plan. Now, you need a plan to some extent. And I even put this in viral podcasting. You need a plan so you know how much your break even is going to be. You know how much costs you're going to have. And you know how much money you have to put into the business. But that's not going to help you if you have a bad idea where if your service, your product isn't marketable, it doesn't really do any good. It doesn't guarantee you any success. So the marketing plan, I think, is more important than anything else. And nowadays, and one thing I just want to go back, you know, I go back to computers since 1977, right. since the Apple II Plus. So every time I invested in new technology, I don't know how it worked, Kevin. It just seems to be a law of business that anytime you invest in new, in new technology, and honestly, not the bleeding edge of technology, not unproven, but when the technology gets proven, but before it becomes widespread, there's always an opportunity in there when you buy it. Like I used to get a new computer every six months hmm. because you know why? Because they were faster and faster and I had to wait around less doing right. these database projects and stuff. So you know, one computer project led to another. I was doing a CRM in 1992 when there was no such thing as a CRM. It was primitive, I'll grant you. It was under DOS, but it worked like hell and made me a fortune. So every investment in technology, if it's a well-thought-out investment, will reap its rewards. Now, we've gotten to a point now where if I have a PC and I get the next generation, it's just going to be a little faster. There's no killer apps. 
incremental at this point. I agree. But I also agree. I've had the same philosophy with, 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 uh, with our business, with our work. And it makes yeah. such a difference going from an older computer that just struggles to keep up with whatever you're doing. You oh, yeah. sit around waiting. I used to have to come in the morning, turn on my computer, and then I just go get a cup of coffee and you know, maybe have a bite to eat or something, you know, waiting for the thing to boot up. <laughs> right. And then yeah, when we upgrade, well, and then you, you get something that boots up in under a minute, you can get right to work. I'll tell you what, I have a Apple Mac Mini. It's better for certain things. It's twice as much as a PC. Right. But right. you know, when you're doing audio and video, there's nothing better. So I had the last generation and the damn thing started beach balling on me yeah. for like six, eight months. So I bought the new one. It was 2,600 bucks. I managed to get a thousand dollars for my old Mac mini. Oh, wow. So oh. it was a 16, cause there's a, unlike PCs, there's a resale market. For the, used. Right. There is, you can trade them in. Yeah. yeah. So I sold it on eBay, got a thousand bucks. And so $1,600 was my upgrade. This thing is so much faster I almost feel like it's the old days of technology where, you know, because you have these cores and now it actually runs each application that you're doing in a separate core. Right. The last right. one said it did it, but it didn't do it. This one does it. And now they're coming out with 28 core, 56 core chips. Oh so maybe we're going to get back. And then the killer apps, killer apps are like a once every 10 year thing where a killer app comes out and there's just like, it just, is a game changer, yeah, but yeah, yeah. generally keeping your eye, staying up on the technology. We started out with printing presses, doing offset printing. Our run length was 25 pages and the average job was hundred or 200 pages. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you had to make a plate and you had a stack of plates. It was a real pain in the neck. And then the uh, xerography high-speed duplicators took over that market. And we were there like white on rice. And that was the end. We never, we never put ink on another machine. Right. And then we were like, uh, we were using all sorts of different photo typesetting equipment. And then the Macs came out with, uh, with Quark Express and uh, a couple of others. And that was a quantum leap forward. And then you could take text from your clients and just import it and typeset it and shoot them back a proof. I mean, all of this was pre-internet. So... Mm -hmm. Staying up on that technology is really crucial. And technology is so readily available for anything that you want to do. Who in their right mind, you're a solopreneur, how can you not have QuickBooks online? Why would you write checks unless you absolutely have to? And why would you accept checks unless you absolutely have to? You send out a QuickBooks invoice and you put your wire info there. Let the client wire it or they can ACH it right through QuickBooks. And that speeds up your cash flow. It makes the biggest difference. And you don't have a bunch of paper in your life. And you don't have a bunch of complicated programs either. So those are things that I would never, ever uh, live without as a... Uh, and then it'll track your receivables. There's no reason for most small businesses in this day and age to extend credit unless it's absolutely essential that they do. But most of our transactions that take place now get paid for at rendering of service. And that's a great thing. So, so, you know, you go into a business and you can see, all right, so what is their problem here? Is it marketing? Is it record keeping, internal bookkeeping? Is it management, lack of leadership, failure of vision? You know, it's going to fall into one of five areas. 
And from there, like I said, I would always rather take an existing business that rather than starting up, all right, before you go starting up a business, there are times where you have to start up. Like nobody was doing a podcast as a real business. Very few of them when I started eight years ago. Right. So, right. so there you kind of have to start up yourself. But if I was going to do, let's say, an online dating site, I don't know why I would, but if I was going to, I wouldn't start it from the ground up. I'd go find somebody who had one that didn't work well, that wasn't financially succeeding, and buy them out because they probably want out. There's nothing worse than being stuck in a money-losing business for a period of time. You'll just do anything to get the hell out. You'll just almost give it away because generally you don't want to shut it down. You might even shut it down. So find the loser, but find a marginal loser. One that loses, let's say you've got 100000 one that loses two, 3000 a month. You can take that loss and then do a top-to-bottom review, figure out where the loss comes in. Is it marketing? Is it management? Is it productivity, employee productivity? It's all going to fall into several categories and then fix it. And then you have a moneymaker that you paid next to nothing for because the good thing is when you buy an existing business, you don't have to spend a lot of time setting up systems. All right. you have to do is refine systems and replace the ones that are deficient. I mean, just like you buy a company, it's got 5,000 names in its marketing database, but they do a lousy job of marketing. But you've got 5,000. You don't have to go collect them. It's a great thing. It really is. So we've already talked about how to get a business going, if the business is struggling, what areas to look at to, to improve it. But if you have a business going, sometimes they don't fail the first year. They might fail year six or eight. How do you keep it going long-term? Okay, that's a great question. Usually when people say that to me, it annoys me But in an interview, but it really is a great question. Longevity. So business guy from my parents started in 63, sold it in 98. You know, that was the family business. So that was uh, 30, 35 years that business went for. And in the course of time, your business will have ups and downs. It, business is a roller coaster. There's no other way to describe it. You have your ups, you have your downs, things happen. Sometimes it's out of your control. You know, 9-11, tens of thousands of businesses in downtown Manhattan shut down for a month. They couldn't get in there, couldn't do anything. And the losses were staggering. That's an externality. You know, sometimes like if you're an Amazon seller right now, which is a great thing if you can master the algorithms and you have the time and you've got the expertise and the focus to do it, you could make money at it. But right now we're looking at uh, trade war. We're looking at uh, potential tariffs on your product. So you could be put out of business before you even know it. A lot of times... You're in a business that gets put out because of stroke of a pen because they decide it should be illegal one moment. One minute, it's fine. Next minute, government, for whatever reason, or the courts put you out or lawsuits, whatever. So yep. it's a minefield out there, and it's a roller coaster. Picture a roller coaster going through minefields that are blowing up all around and taking out participants on the roller coaster. And you got to hold on for dear life, and you got to try to anticipate this stuff diversification. What happens is people have one product line, service line that really works, brings in all their income, and they forget about expanding. You, growth is the cure for this. Diversification, it comes in many forms. It comes geographically, 
It comes in different products and services. So you have to look to broaden your product line and revenue maximization. You know the old saying, like any customer you have now, it's easier to sell an existing customer, somebody who's done business with you in the past, than it is a cold lead, a cold call. You mentioned marketing. You have to have a good marketing plan. So wouldn't marketing kind of fall into that too? Because over time, and I've noticed this myself in my career, is that what worked five, 10 years ago for marketing may not work so well today. There's cycles of that and it's changing. So keeping on top of what's working for advertising, social media, whatever it is, is also something key to that. Yeah. I won't say I'm the best social marketer, although you can argue that podcasting is social marketing or social media at its best. But, you know, with, with Facebook, Twitter, I could definitely do a better job, but I just, just haven't got myself around to it. So certainly your marketing, you need to go back and look. And you have to look at the quality of your product or your service. How good is it really? You got to be honest with yourself about it. Because if you're, the market's telling you that barring externality, like a systemic 2008, 2009 market disintegration event, the markets really did disintegrate then. Barring that, if your sales are going down and the overall market is increasing or is static, then you are doing something wrong. That's where self-honesty and appraisal, and it might be because you don't market properly. It might be because your message has gotten stale. And like what happened with me, my competitors would, uh, would copy, emulate what I did. So you have to stay ahead of them. It's the sales process. You have to look at every step. And the same thing is if you are succeeding, you can't just rest on your laurels. You've got to go look and say, how can I succeed better than I am doing now? Sometimes you can't find the answer. Sometimes there isn't an answer. But more times than not, there will be an answer. And sometimes, you know, I hesitate to tell people to bring in outside consultants. But, you know, Kevin, as well as I do, you get so involved in your own day-to-day stuff that sometimes you need a fresh set of eyes to take a look at what you're doing and just say why. And if the reason, I always used to like love when I'd say to somebody, well, why are we doing it this way? Well, that's the way we've always done it. I said, well, not anymore. You know, and that's a mentality, a mindset, because people love predictability. So there's two kinds of people in the world in business. There are administrators. Okay, those are the people that work from nine to five and make sure that everything gets done. And then there are visionaries, the people who tell those people what to do. And what happens to so many companies is they wind up, they start with a visionary, they wind up with a nine to five administrator. You can't succeed without sound administration in any business, but you need to really stay on your game and make sure that you're not, you know, like me, I loved coming up with systems. I love to create a new system. We had deadlines. We had documents that had to get filed. I created all this on the computer uh, before any of it even existed, you know, just out of my mind. For me to actually follow the systems I created, I wasn't cut out to do that. So I needed, (laughs) but the point is you can't do everything. If you're an administrative mindset, then you need to find somebody who is a creative type because you need the creative type to keep you current and relevant. And that's the thing. So going back, creating a team 
is essential. And uh-huh. teams yeah. are built on mutual respect, admiration, and appreciation that your team members do things that you have no ability or desire to do. So you need to be grateful. Gratitude that these people are with you. Gratitude that you are engaged in a venture with like-mindedness, the end result of which is to succeed and make your own lives better and hopefully those of others around you and maybe the people you're selling the product to. So that mindset's essential because you can't do everything yourself. I know all about the solopreneur thing and all this, and there are things where it can work, but nowadays the beauty is you can find expertise for anything. I'm the worst graphic artist in the world. I mean, I just can't do it. You could put Photoshop in front of me and I'm a computer expert in a lot of things, but I just don't know what the hell to do with Photoshop when it's in front of me. But I go over to Fiverr and I tell uh, somebody for 20 bucks, please create a meme for me. Here's what I want in it. Here's some pictures. Just do it. And then they come back like three hours later and they've done it. Even if you had someone working for you, they'd probably say, well, give me a week. I'll have it done. These Fiverr people don't get any money till it's done. So you have resources out there like nothing we've ever had before. You have the internet. You have communication technology. We, as small business people, have better communications than Gigundo corporations because we don't have these weird charts, hierarchies where messages have to flitter around and people have to have meetings and all this. Our org chart is flat. There is just, you know, all sorts of directions. So you've got all of these tools available to you. You just need an idea, a vision. You can find money. People will invest in you. You don't even need to invest much now. Your main thing is you got to know if you've got a good idea, whether to keep doing it or whether to cut and run. And it's good because your losses aren't that costly now like they were in the 70s and 80s or 90s where you set up brick and mortar and all this. You just don't need that stuff now. And people are much more open to corroborative relationships. And I mean, like in the mining industry where I am, these companies really, they've come down to counting paper clips. Some of them, they're that strapped. They have one company, but they have a CFO who maybe is a CFO for five other companies. Basically, he makes sure all the bills get paid. And then, right. whereas he might've gotten half a million from one company 10 years ago, he'll be getting 25 to 75,000 a year from each of these other companies. He might have five or six clients and he's effectively running his own business. Uh, I see that a lot and they'll share office space. Like I love when I go into a company and I see a crappy office because that means to me that I don't know what they're doing here, whether they're doing anything right or wrong. But one thing I know they've done right is they haven't blown a bunch of money for, you know, fancy office. Low overhead is the most important thing when you were starting out makes you so much smarter. And especially now, so many of you work out of your home. I work out of my home. You work out of yours. It's like, hey, and you know, the nicest thing is when you got your home office, the government basically said you can write off X amount. Could be anywhere from five to $15,000 a year on your home office. Yeah, And right, all of these things. So, So before we end today, 
you know, I'd like to ask you for what I call a little value bomb. So, in the value bomb that we look at it here, the Wealth Tactic Rebel Way, is something that, in your experience, that our listeners for entrepreneurship could look to avoid doing. Probably something maybe you've made a mistake on that they could learn from. It's a simple matter. Don't spend money anticipating the success of a product or service until you've proven it. Because you'll be sitting on inventory that will become worthless. You will have invested money in a service. Do intros, test them out. Don't do broad scale introductions. Save money, even if it's going to cost you more money later on. I'll give you, for instance, this is one that worked, but I do these webcasts for clients where we get hundreds of potential investors on a webcast and I do them really tight, practice the hell out of them. I mean, we really do a tight job. So I used to spend uh, $129 a month with a go to meeting for the webcast. Uh, maybe it was, you know, now we've got so many people, we had to be at the next one. So it would cost me $3,000 a year to pay monthly. But I didn't go to the annual plan, which I got for $2,000 until I knew that these webcasts were sound and were money makers. My older, stupider days, I would have spent the $2,000, gotten the annual subscription, and it may or may not have worked, in which case, if it didn't work, I wasted $2,000. So don't spend money on success. You know, our president in this book, The Art of the Deal, said, I always look at the downside when I'm doing a deal. Always look for the downside first. And if that's acceptable, then I'll do the deal because I know the upside will take care of itself. And that is a crucial thing. Don't look at what's going to go right. You're buying a business, you're starting a business. Think about everything that's going to go wrong. Think about how much more time you're going to spend, whether you're opening a restaurant. I mean, one of the greatest shows around is like, uh, you know, these ones where they go into failing restaurants oh, and they yeah, turn them around. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Chef Ramsey. Yeah, you know, I love watching him. You made me think about that earlier when you were talking about the, the show where they go into failing businesses and, and buy them out. He does the same thing. And it's like you said, it's the biggest challenge that he has in saving any restaurant is the mental attitude of the yes. owners or the, or the people running it. Yeah, because they are losers. They've taken on a loser mindset. Right. I'm not right. saying they're losers, but... In this instance, for whatever reason, and a lot of them have had bad family things happen, just knocks them off their game. And, you know, he only saves like half of them. You know, half the restaurants still close. When you go do right. an update on Chef Ramsay, half of them are gone because some people can't be saved. But when Ramsay walks into the place, within 15 minutes, he knows everything that they are doing wrong. You know, the food is no good. Very few places has he ever gone to where he said, gee, the food's really good. What's going on in this place? Yeah, not too Food's always bad. The kitchen's always filthy. They don't have systems. The employees are poorly trained. Or like Bar Rescue is one of my favorites. Yep. I don't yep. like when they start yelling at the people because they're beaten down enough. Yeah, they don't yeah, need yeah. to be yelled at. That's just it's for true. TV. It's, true. it's like they're a little, a little love goes a long way. But yeah, you see it and you see it's so obvious like, Kevin, you walk into a restaurant. I don't know if you're a foodie like me or not. You order some food. If it's lousy, you say, this is lousy food. Yeah. And yet the yeah. people who run the restaurant, they aren't unaware of this. How does that happen? 
Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Carrie. Before we end today, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Hey, just take a look at my site, uh, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Check out the podcast. Uh, we deal with things just like you, Kevin, and my other site, viralpodcasting.com. Get my book over at Amazon if you're interested. It's not just for podcasting alone, although it's podcast-centric. It's really a book about how to succeed and not fail, which uh, basically is what it's all about. True that. Thank you, Carrie. Appreciate it. Appreciate your words of wisdom today, sharing your experience with all of our listeners. We're going to put your links and your contact information on our show notes page. So our listeners can go to wealthtacticrebels.com and find the uh, show notes page for Carrie Lutz. And while you're there, you can download our free guide to the three key areas you could be losing money unknowingly and unnecessarily. Carrie, again, I just want to thank you for helping out with our listeners today. Hey, it's my pleasure and I uh, hope you got something out of it. And if you're working for somebody and you really want to just expand your life and be more than you ever thought you could, then you got to start your own business. You got to go into business for yourself, believe in yourself, and there's no limit to what you can accomplish. Agreed. Absolutely. So thank you very much for that, Carrie. And Well Tactic Rebels, have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.